This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. There is nothing wrong with your radio. Do not attempt to adjust the frequency. We are controlling transmission. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limit frequency. Good evening, my name is Ricardo. My name is Sam. And this is the outer limit frequency. on the slab I see you shiver with anticipation 
fashion. But maybe the rain is really to blame. So I'll remove the cause. <laughs> but not the symptom. How would we best describe horror punk? Well, aside from it being a combination of two of my favourite things, the name really does explain it quite well. It's punk with horror themes. The song you just heard was, of course, Sweet Transvestite from the Rocky Horror Picture Show, covered by the band Apocalypse Hobokin. And it's that simple, really. You take regular punk and make it about horror, then you have horror punk. Some bands, however, make this their entire thing. Bands such as The Cramps, Rosemary's Babies, and of course The Misfits have not just made it about the sound, but their image as well. I absolutely adore the entire scene, so this episode has really been a long time coming. It's not often that a specific artist is compulsory to the topic of one of our episodes, but horror punk is no ordinary genre, and one of its cornerstones of The Cramps were no ordinary band. Yes, you can chalk up horror punk as another style of music to which the Cramps were instrumental. From their inception in the mid-70s to the passing of frontman at Lux Interior in 2009, this Gaulish gang have been indulging in horror themes with a wickedly rockabilly twist, which undoubtedly laid the groundwork for literally every other act on this episode. And since the Cramps were right at the undisputed beginning of what came to be known as horror punk, I feel as though it's only fair we give them their due. So coming up next, we have a cheeky double feature of Human Fly, followed by Zombie Dance.
like Apocalypse Hoboken, I was first introduced to the Groovy Ghoulies due to their contribution to the Rocky Horror Punk Rock Show album where they performed the Time Warp. Their version of this was kinda weak, but it at least got me interested. Lifting their name directly from an animated show spin-off of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Groovy Ghoulies released nine albums from 1989 until their breakup in 2007, but in that time they established themselves as a must-listen for anyone interested in horror punk. They make the entire thing a lot of fun, which is at least a nice break from a lot of the more somber feelings that a lot of the bands in this scene tend to lean on. It's the kind of thing that should be fun, so why not embrace it? This is Graveyard Girlfriend. fairly commonplace in horror punk to lift the band name from an obscure horror film or show or comic just like Groovy Ghoulies did, but so did Die Monster Die, all one word. When they lifted their name from the 1965 Boris Karloff film of, well, the same name. Another common practice is to do the old black metal thing of adopting stage names to fit the band persona. So with Die Monster Die, you currently have Zero DeLorean, Meat Whistle, Grimlock, Morgue, and Mercury Rising, not to mention the other members that have also passed through their ranks. 
Die Monster Die is also perhaps best known for, despite their rather large following, never signing to any label, as they've always wanted to pave their own way in every aspect. Gotta respect that. However, my favourite thing about this band is the title of the next song, because I'm not sure it makes any kind of sense. A priest and a zombie rent a fishing boat as friends.
45 Grave stood out from the early crop of horror punk acts for several reasons, not the least of which was that their front woman, Dina Cancer, was indeed a woman. For some reason, for the majority of its tenure in the 20th century, horror punk was primarily dominated by men, although the 21st century has made great headway into redressing that imbalance. 45 Grave I recognise as one of the founders of Death Rock, a movement which occurred in parallel to horror punk. And since those two are so similar in tone and aesthetic, attempting to draw a distinction between them is the very definition of splitting hairs. I still wish they had thought to pluralise the word grave though, it's awkward to say. This next song, Riboflavin, doesn't sound like it has any clear connection to horror themes, until you learn that the title is short for Riboflavin Flavoured Non-Carbonated Polyunsaturated Blood. Yeah, that's a little more like it. As the 21st century rolled around, there was precious little representation of horror punk outside of those elder statesmen who had simply refused to let go. That was until 2002 and the arrival of Murder Dolls. 
And while the group was primarily a vehicle for frontman, misfit fanboy, and B-movie enthusiast Wednesday 13, I think it's safe to say that many people knew Murder Dolls at first, at least, as Joey from Slipknot's new band. The new metal percussive pugilist had temporarily traded in his drum kit for a guitar for this particular project, but he also brought a name recognition with him, which fueled the excitement for the band's debut album, Beyond the Valley of the Murder Dolls, in 2002. And while the transition from thrashy new metal to campy horror punk might seem like a drastic one at first, it's not hard to see the commonalities between Slipknot's People Were the Real Monsters All Along shtick and the movie monster throwdown perpetrated by Murder Dolls. This album was the soundtrack to my life circa age 17, and as much as I cringe looking back on it, it's still a really good showcase what horror punk could be in the early 2000s. And what would horror punk be without a song about a classic horror movie? So this is Murder Dolls with Dawn of the Dead.
While Zombina and the Skeletones are much more pop rock than punk in many places, they earn a spot on this list for a few reasons. First off, the name, obviously. Plus their tendency to incorporate doo-wop and rockabilly styles into their music, both of which are also occasionally used by the Misfits. The subject matter and everything else about them gets them on here, they just aren't super punk most of the time. I dig it though, the B-movie references make me think of them as pop rock aborted, and aborted are a whole lot of messed up fun. Even the song titles from Zombina are great, like All I Want to Do Is Decompose With You.
Tiger Army of Los Angeles came around at an interesting time on the poppier end of the punk rock spectrum. They were too late for the boom period of Blink-182, but too early to neatly fit among the nauseating self-importance of latter-era Green Day. The band rose to prominence largely due to their early association with another divisive punk band, AFI. But unlike AFI, Tiger Army were much more dedicated to classic horror punk tropes. These include, but are not limited to, hammer-grade aliases such as Nick 13 and Fred Hell, and the prominent use of the upright bass, cribbed essentially from the cramps. While I honestly believe that Tiger Army were trying their hardest to rep horror punk motifs, their presentation was a bit lacking. The whole ordeal seemed a little too tame and gentrified, for a style of music which has always been known for its shocking content and inherent wildness. They get points for effort at least. And from their third album, Three Ghost Tigers Rise, this is Tiger Army with Swift, Silent, Deadly. now our feature artists. The Misfits were originally formed in 1977 as a three-piece band consisting of Glenn Danzig, Jerry Only, and Manny Martinez. 
Now, going forward, in many cases, these names are their stage names, and that's what I'm sticking with, because otherwise I'd need an extra hour for all of their real names. Continuing. They were quickly joined by Franch Coma, then Martinez was replaced by Mr. Jim. It was with this lineup that they recorded the album that would become known as Static Age. Static Age, however, was not actually released until 1997, which is kind of mad. But they did release singles and perform songs from the album live in the meantime, while also creating their own record label, Plan 9. The single Bullet was one of these, a song gained, that gained no- notoriety for being about the assassination of JFK and the single release artwork showing a photo of just this. This original lineup and indeed sound for the band was much more straight up punk than they would become. I mean, the political topics aside, they hadn't quite settled on their image yet. As the band shifted towards a more horror-themed sound that they would end up becoming known for, with Danzig writing songs inspired by B movies and only applying the makeup and devil lock hairstyle, they had a bit of a shake-up of members. Joey Image and Bobby Steele were now in, joining only in Danzig. In my opinion, Image was the best drummer the band has ever had, and it's a damn shame he didn't stick around longer. Hell, he left before even making an album appearance. There were a few singles, sure, but most of the work that made Joey Image so great was as a part of other bands. So yeah, again, Image and Steel were out. Arthur Googie in, and Doyle, the latter being a 16-year-old brother of Jerry Only, were now in. I'm forever disappointed that Doyle and Image missed each other by that much, and would only play together while touring decades later. With this new lineup and newfound solidified horror direction, they released the album Walk Among Us, their debut album release. This many changes in the band, and we are only at the first album. Holy hell. This is Vampira.
So I'm beginning to think that Danzig might be a pain to work with. Because after this album, he drove out another band member. At least it was only one this time. Googie was replaced with Robo, formerly of Black Flag, so at least Robo was used to dealing with difficult people. With this current lineup, they released Earth AD slash Wolf's Blood, a double album of sorts. This album was heavier than the previous work, leaning more into the hardcore sort of style. The standout track has got to be Die Die My Darling, which was later made more famous by Metallica. The Metallica version admittedly is pretty good, a whole lot better than their cover of Nick Cave's Lover Man at least. It's good, but it really doesn't hold a candle to the original. This essentially marked the end of the band for the time being. Robo left and was replaced, but Jerry, only obviously tired from all of the fights, 
disbanded the group following a show in 1983. Danzig went on to form Samhain and later his vanity project, Danzig, while Only and Doyle went on to form Chris the Conqueror. For an awkwardly long time, Only and Danzig were pretty much at each other's throats fighting a legal fight over the rights to the songs, name, and everything about the band. This was settled in 1995, and not long after, Only and Doyle were getting the band back together again. Sort of. While they strangely invited Danzig back, he declined, probably with a scoff, but they managed to recruit the more than capable Michael Graves on vocals and Dr. Chud on drums. While Doyle also lengthened his name just a touch to Doyle Wolfgang von Frankenstein. This was the lineup that would provide the next two albums, which are at least in my opinion one of their worst and then possibly their best efforts. American Psycho was not a bad album, but at least looked like they hadn't really gelled quite yet without Danzig at the helm. It did also contain the song Dig Up Her Bones, which has gone on to become one of their most iconic, so there is that. Rise up the steps one by one to give you the road. 
Famous Monsters was up next, and it looked like there, for once, wasn't any real drama in the band. This is definitely their most easily accessible album, with songs like our next one, Saturday Night, plus Helena and Scream. This is a great place for you to start if you're looking to try the band out. Kong at the Gates was also the entrance theme for WCW wrestler Vampiro, who had a pretty messed up storyline with the band, so it gets points for that. It turns out that there was still some kind of drama, though, as partway through a show in 2000, Graves and Chud walked off stage quitting the band. Not long after this, Doyle also left due to personal issues, which for once didn't involve an argument with bandmates.
This mass exodus of bandmates left Jerry only as the <laughs> only remaining member of the band. He reformed the band as a three-piece, taking over vocal duties and recruiting Des Kadena from Black Flag as guitarist and Marky Ramone from the Ramones as drummer, after both of these guys had been temporarily filling in on tours. This should also be the point where you realize you can't really get attached to any one member of the band unless you just really like Jerry Only, because it has become clear at this point that it is his band. I'm not saying that it's a bad thing, the dude is fantastic. With this lineup, they released Project 1950 in 2003, a collection of covers from 1950s era songs, which I'll admit is pretty great. A whole lot better than Danzig's Elvis covers album, at least. This contains covers of Latest Flame by Elvis, Great Balls of Fire by Jerry Lee Lewis, Monster Mash, of course, by Bobby Pickett, and our next song, This Magic Moment by The Drifters. <laughs> Marky Ramone obviously only saw this as a temporary gig, as he was soon out, replaced by former member Robo, who only stuck around for touring as he left in 2010 before the next album. He was then replaced with Eric Aker for the 2011 release and their most recent album, Devil's Reign. So if you're keeping track, the band has now Jerry Only, Eric Aker, and Des Kadena for like a minute. Before we leave you with our final track, Land of the Dead, here is a little update. 
Kadena left the band due to health issues. Only son Jerry Other joined for a couple of years before the biggest shakeup the band has had. The current lineup of the band is somehow Jerry only on bass, Doyle Wolfgang von Frankenstein on guitar, Dave Goddamn Lombardo on drums, AC Slade on rhythm guitar, and Glenn Danzig on vocals. What a ride. Let's see if they stay this way for an album. Please? We're about to run out of time, so thank you for joining us. Jump onto Spotify, check out some of our old episodes, and be sure to check us out again next week when we look at the healing power of heavy music. Bye! For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.